एम लक्ष्मीकांत इंडियन पॉलिटी चैप्टर 17 प्रेसिडेंट पार्ट टू वीटो पावर ऑफ द प्रेसिडेंट अ बिल पास्ड बाय द पार्लियामेंट कैन बिकम एन एक्ट ओनली इफ इट रिसीव्स द असेंट ऑफ द प्रेसिडेंट व्हेन सच अ बिल इज प्रेजेंटेड टू द प्रेसिडेंट फॉर हिज असेंट ही हैज थ्री ऑल्टरनेटिव्स अंडर आर्टिकल 111 ऑफ द कॉन्स्टिट्यूशन वन he may give his assent to the bill or two he may withhold his assent to the bill or three he may return the bill if it is not a money bill for reconsideration of the parliament however if the bill is passed again by the parliament with or without amendments and again presented to the president the president must give his assent to the bill thus the president has the veto power over the bills passed by the parliament that is he can withhold his assent to the bills the object of conferring this power on the president is to fold a to prevent hasty and ill considered legislation by the parliament and b to prevent a legislation which may be unconstitutional the veto power enjoyed by the executive in modern states can be classified into the following four types one absolute veto that is withholding of assent to the bill passed by the legislature two qualified veto which can be overridden by the legislature with a higher majority three suspensive veto which can be overridden by the legislature with an ordinary majority four pocket veto that is taking no action on the bill passed by the legislature of the above four the president of india is vested with three absolute veto suspensive veto and pocket veto there is no qualified veto in the case of indian president it is possessed by the american president the three vetoes of the president of india are explained below absolute veto it refers to the power of the president to withhold his assent to a bill passed by the parliament the bill then ends and does not become an act usually this veto is exercised in the following two cases a with respect to private members bills bills introduced by any member of parliament who is not a minister b with respect to the government bills when the cabinet resigns after the passage of the bills but before the assent by the president and the new cabinet advises the president not to give his assent to such bills in 1954 president dr rajendra prasad withheld his assent to the pepsu appropriation bill the bill was passed by the parliament when the president's rule was in operation in the state of pepsu but when the bill was presented to the president for his assent the president's rule was revoked Again in 1991 president R Venkatraman withheld his assent to the salary allowances and pension of members of parliament amendment bill the bill was passed by the parliament on the last day before dissolution of lok sabha without obtaining the previous recommendation of the president suspensive veto The president exercises this veto when he returns a bill for reconsideration of the parliament. However, if the bill is passed again by the parliament with or without amendments and again presented to the president, it is obligatory for the president to give his assent to the bill. 
This means that the presidential veto is overridden by a repassage of the bill by the same ordinary majority and not higher majority as required in USA. As mentioned earlier, the president does not poses this veto in the case of money bills. The president can either give his assent to a money bill or withhold his assent to a money bill but cannot return it for the reconsideration of the parliament. Normally, the president gives his assent to money bill as it is introduced in the parliament with his previous permission. Pocket Veto In this case, the president neither ratifies nor rejects nor returns the bill, but simply keeps the bill pending for an indefinite period. This power of the president not to take any action, either positive or negative, on the bill is known as the pocket veto. The president can exercise this veto power as the constitution does not prescribe any time limit within which he has to take the decision with respect to a bill presented to him for his assent. In USA, on the other hand, the president has to return the bill for reconsideration within 10 days. Hence, it is remarked that the pocket of the Indian president is bigger than that of the American president. In 1986, President Zail Singh exercised the pocket veto with respect to the Indian Post Office Amendment Bill. The bill, passed by the Rajiv Gandhi government, imposed restrictions on the freedom of press and hence was widely criticized. After three years, in 1989, the next president, R. Venkatraman, sent the bill back for reconsideration but the new National Front government decided to drop the bill. It should be noted here that the President has no veto power in respect of a Constitutional Amendment Bill. The 24th Constitutional Amendment Act of 1971 made it obligatory for the President to give his assent to a Constitutional Amendment Bill. Presidential veto over state legislation The President has veto power with respect to state legislation also. A bill passed by a state legislature can become an act only if it receives the assent of the Governor or the President, in case the bill is reserved for the consideration of the President. When a bill, passed by a state legislature, is presented to the Governor for his assent, he has four alternatives under Article 200 of the Constitution. 1. He may give his assent to the bill or 2. He may withhold his assent to the bill or 3. He may return the bill, if it is not a money bill, for reconsideration of the state legislature or 4. He may reserve the bill for the consideration of the President. Veto power of the President at a glance when a bill is reserved by the governor for the consideration of the president, the president has three alternatives under Article 201 of the Constitution. 1. He may give his assent to the bill or 2. He may withhold his assent to the bill or 3. He may direct the governor to return the bill if it is not a money bill for the reconsideration of the state legislature. If the bill is passed again by the state legislature, with or without amendments and presented again to the President for his assent, the President is not bound to give his assent to the bill. This means that the state legislature cannot override the veto power of the President. Further, 
The Constitution has not prescribed any time limit within which the President has to take decision with regard to a bill reserved by the Governor for his consideration. Hence, the President can exercise pocket veto in respect of state legislation also. Ordinance-Making Power of the President Article 123 of the Constitution empowers the President to promulgate ordinances during the recess of Parliament. These ordinances have the same force and effect as an Act of Parliament but are in the nature of temporary laws. The ordinance-making power is the most important legislative power of the President. It has been vested in him to deal with unforeseen or urgent matters. But the exercises of this power is subject to the following four limitations. 1. He can promulgate an ordinance only when both the Houses of Parliament are not in session or when either of the two Houses of Parliament is not in session. An ordinance can also be issued when only one House is in session because a law can be passed by both the Houses and not by one House alone. An ordinance made when both the Houses are in session is void. Thus, the power of the President to legislate by ordinance is not a parallel power of legislation. 2. He can make an ordinance only when he is satisfied that the circumstances exist that render it necessary for him to take immediate action. In Cooper case, 1970, the Supreme Court held that the President's satisfaction can be questioned in a court on the ground of malafide. This means that the decision of the President to issue an ordinance can be questioned in a court on the ground that the President has prorogued one House or both Houses of Parliament deliberately with a view to promulgate an ordinance on a controversial subject so as to bypass the parliamentary decision and thereby circumventing the authority of the Parliament. The 38th Constitutional Amendment Act of 1975 made the President's satisfaction final and conclusive and beyond judicial review. But this provision was deleted by the 44th Constitutional Amendment Act of 1978. Thus, the President's satisfaction is justiciable on the ground of malafide. 3. His ordinance-making power is coextensive as regards all matters except duration, with the lawmaking powers of the Parliament. This has two implications. A. An ordinance can be issued only on those subjects on which the Parliament can make laws. B. An ordinance is subject to the same constitutional limitation as an Act of Parliament. Hence, an ordinance cannot abridge or take away any of the fundamental rights. 4. Every ordinance issued by the President during the recess of Parliament must be laid before both the Houses of Parliament when it reassembles. If the ordinance is approved by both the Houses, it becomes an Act. If Parliament takes no action at all, the ordinance ceases to operate on the expiry of six weeks from the reassembly of Parliament. The ordinance may also cease to operate even earlier than the prescribed six weeks if both the Houses of Parliament pass resolutions disapproving it. If the Houses of Parliament are summoned to reassemble on different dates, the period of six weeks is calculated from the later of those dates. 
This means that the maximum life of an ordinance can be six months and six weeks in case of non-approval by the Parliament, six months being the maximum gap between the two sessions of Parliament. If an ordinance is allowed to lapse without being placed before Parliament, then the acts done and completed under it before it ceases to operate remain fully valid and effective. The President can also withdraw an ordinance at any time. However, his power of ordinance making is not a discretionary power and he can promulgate or withdraw an ordinance only on the advice of the Council of Ministers headed by the Prime Minister. An ordinance like any other legislation can be retrospective, that is, it may come into force from a back date. It may modify or repeal any act of parliament or another ordinance. It can alter or amend a tax law also. However, it cannot be issued to amend the constitution. The ordinance-making power of the president in India is rather unusual and not found in most of the democratic constitutions of the world including that of USA and UK. In justification of the ordinance-making power of the President, Dr. B. R. Ambedkar said in the Constituent Assembly that the mechanism of issuing an ordinance has been devised in order to enable the executive to deal with a situation that may suddenly and immediately arise when the Parliament is not in session. It must be clarified here that the ordinance-making power of the President has no necessary connection with the national emergency envisaged in Article 352. The President can issue an ordinance even when there is no war or external aggression or armed rebellion. The rules of Lok Sabha require that whenever a bill seeking to replace an ordinance is introduced in the House, a statement explaining the circumstances that had necessitated immediate legislation by ordinance should also be placed before the House. So far, no case has gone to the Supreme Court regarding promulgation of ordinance by the President. But the judgment of the Supreme Court in the D.C. Vadhva case, 1987, is highly relevant here. In that case, the court pointed out that between 1967 to 1981 the governor of Bihar promulgated 256 ordinances and all these were kept in force for periods ranging from 1 to 14 years by promulgation from time to time. The court ruled that successive repromulgation of ordinances with the same text without any attempt to get the bills passed by the assembly would amount to violation of the constitution and the ordinance so repromulgated is liable to be struck down. It held that the exceptional power of lawmaking through ordinance cannot be used as a substitute for the legislative power of the state legislature. Pardoning Power of the President Article 72 of the Constitution empowers the President to grant pardons to persons who have been tried and convicted of any offence in all cases where the 1. Punishment or sentence is for an offence against a union law. 2. Punishment or sentence is by a court-martial, military court and 3. Sentence is a sentence of death. The pardoning power of the President is independent of the judiciary, it is an executive power. But, the President while exercising this power, 
does not sit as a court of appeal. The object of conferring this power on the President is to fold, a. to keep the door open for correcting any judicial errors in the operation of law, and b. to afford relief from a sentence, which the President regards as unduly harsh. The pardoning power of the President includes the following. 1. Pardon. It removes both the sentence and the conviction and completely absolves the convict from all sentences, punishments and disqualifications. 2. Commutation. It denotes the substitution of one form of punishment for a lighter form. For example, a death sentence may be commuted to rigorous imprisonment, which in turn may be commuted to a simple imprisonment. 3. Remission. It implies reducing the period of sentence without changing its character. For example, a sentence of rigorous imprisonment for two years may be remitted to rigorous imprisonment for one year. 4. Respite. It denotes awarding a lesser sentence in place of one originally awarded due to some special fact, such as the physical disability of a convict or the pregnancy of a woman offender. 5. Reprieve. It implies a stay of the execution of a sentence, especially that of death, for a temporary period. Its purpose is to enable the convict to have time to seek pardon or commutation from the President. Under Article 161 of the Constitution, the Governor of a State also possesses the pardoning power. Hence, the Governor can also grant pardons, reprieves, respites and remissions of punishment or suspend, remit and commute the sentence of any person convicted of any offence against a state law. But, the pardoning power of the governor differs from that of the president in following two respects. 1. The president can pardon sentences inflicted by court-martial, military courts, while the governor cannot. 2. The president can pardon death sentence while governor cannot. Even if a state law prescribes death sentence, the power to grant pardon lies with the president and not the governor. However, the governor can suspend, remit or commute a death sentence. In other words, both the governor and the president have concurrent power in respect of suspension, remission and commutation of death sentence. The Supreme Court examined the pardoning power of the President under different cases and laid down the following principles. 1. The petitioner for mercy has no right to an oral hearing by the President. 2. The President can examine the evidence afresh and take a view different from the view taken by the Court. 3. The power is to be exercised by the President on the advice of the Union Cabinet. 4. The President is not bound to give reasons for his order. 5. The President can afford relief not only from a sentence that he regards as unduly harsh but also from an evident mistake. 6. There is no need for the Supreme Court to lay down specific guidelines for the exercise of power by the President. 7. The exercise of power by the President is not subject to judicial review except where the presidential decision is arbitrary, irrational, malafide or discriminatory. 8. Where the earlier petition for mercy has been rejected by the President, 
stay cannot be obtained by filing another petition. Constitutional Position of the President The Constitution of India has provided for a parliamentary form of government. Consequently, the President has been made only a nominal executive, the real executive being the Council of Ministers headed by the Prime Minister. In other words, the President has to exercise his powers and functions with the aid and advice of the Council of Ministers headed by the Prime Minister. Dr. B. R. Ambedkar summed up the true position of the President in the following way. In the Indian Constitution, there is placed at the head of the Indian Union a functionary who is called the President of the Union. The title of the functionary reminds of the President of the United States. But beyond the identity of names, there is nothing in common between the form of government prevalent in America and the form of government adopted under the Indian Constitution. The American form of government is called the presidential system of government and what the Indian Constitution adopted is the parliamentary system. Under the presidential system of America, the president is the chief head of the executive and administration is vested in him. Under the Indian Constitution, the president occupies the same position as the king under the English Constitution. He is the head of the state but not of the executive. He represents the nation but does not rule the nation. He is the symbol of the nation. His place in administration is that of a ceremonial device or a seal by which the nation's decisions are made known. He is generally bound by the advice of his ministers. He can do nothing contrary to their advice nor can he do anything without their advice. The President of the United States can dismiss any secretary at any time. The President of the Indian Union has no power to do so, so long as his ministers command a majority in Parliament. In estimating the constitutional position of the President, Particular reference has to be made to the provisions of Articles 53, 74 and 75. These are 1. The executive power of the Union shall be vested in President and shall be exercised by him either directly or through officers subordinate to him in accordance with this Constitution, Article 53. 2. There shall be a council of ministers with the Prime Minister at the head to aid and advise the President who shall, in the exercise of his functions, act in accordance with such advice, Article 74. 3. The council of ministers shall be collectively responsible to the Lok Sabha, Article 75. This provision is the foundation of the parliamentary system of government. The 42nd Constitutional Amendment Act of 1976, enacted by the Indira Gandhi government, made the President bound by the advice of the Council of Ministers headed by the Prime Minister. The 44th Constitutional Amendment Act of 1978, enacted by the Janata Party, government headed by Morarji Desai, authorized the President to require the Council of Ministers to reconsider such advice either generally or otherwise. However, he shall act in accordance with the advice tendered after such reconsideration. In other words, the President may return a matter once for reconsideration of his ministers 
but the reconsidered advice shall be binding. In October 1997, the Cabinet recommended President K. R. Narayanan to impose President's rule under Article 356 in Uttar Pradesh. The President returned the matter for the reconsideration of the Cabinet, which then decided not to move ahead in the matter. Hence, the BJP-led government under Kalyan Singh was saved. Again in September 1998, the President K. R. Narayanan returned a recommendation of the Cabinet that sought the imposition of the President's rule in Bihar. After a couple of months, the Cabinet readvised the same. It was only then that the President's rule was imposed in Bihar in February 1999. Though the President has no constitutional discretion, he has some situational discretion. In other words, the President can act on his discretion, that is, without the advice of the ministers, under the following situations. 1. Appointment of Prime Minister when no party has a clear majority in the Lok Sabha or when the Prime Minister in office dies suddenly and there is no obvious successor. 2. Dismissal of the Council of Ministers when it cannot prove the confidence of the Lok Sabha. 3. Dissolution of the Lok Sabha if the Council of Ministers has lost its majority. Thank you so much for listening this audiobook. If this audiobook helped you in any way so please do like and share this audiobook and hit the subscribe button.